0: That that was my acting debut. How did I do? Pretty great? Yeah. That that, uh, hand clap was really convincing, by the way. Thank you for that. Well, welcome. Welcome to Evergreen. It's good to have you here this morning. Uh, We're going to be moving through Luke chapter 15 this morning. So if you have your text and you want to keep it before you, uh, the story that we're looking at comes out of the end of Luke chapter 15. We've been going through the gospel of Luke that is going to lead us up to Resurrection Sunday. And in the Gospel of Luke, there are actually embedded in this story, three stories about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and then two lost sons. We're going to focus our attention on the story of the two lost sons. Years ago, I was at an event with a friend of mine. He was speaking and giving a presentation. And after the presentation, he opened up for some dialogue and had an open mic time for people to come up, ask questions, and for there to be a back and forth. And as I was sitting there watching, this woman walks up to the mic, and she introduces herself this way. Hello, I'm a mom, and I feel like I should apologize. I'm also a divorce lawyer. It's a striking statement, isn't it? You think about it. I sat there thinking to myself, okay, you're telling us who you are, and you're already apologizing for what you do. How is that not reinforcing some destructive impulses in your life. And this got me thinking about the story that I'm telling myself. All of us are telling ourselves a story. Inside of our our minds and our psyche and our subconscious, a story about who you are, who you are not, a story about what you're doing in the world and what you're not doing in the world, your worth, your value, your esteem. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of you in the room have an inner dialogue that goes on inside your head every day? Yep. And sometimes it's a back and forth dialogue. I've seen some of you talking in the car. I know there's a dialogue happening. And other times it's just a monologue in which you're just listening to yourself go on in this particular narrative. And we all have things that we tell about ourselves. And some of us are completely aware, some of us are not aware, but we know that there's some kind of story going on inside, hidden back in the subconscious mind. But here's the thing. These stories that we tell ourselves can be life-giving. They can keep us grounded and centered as people. They can help us move through life with grace and peace. They can have a profound influence on how we relate to other people but they can also tear us apart, they can enslave us, they can keep us from moving forward, they can also keep us staying exactly where we're at. It's what I call the inner critic. And that inner critic wants to keep you right where you are. The inner critic wants to sometimes give you permission that you don't have to change, that you can just stay right where you are so that you can maintain some kind of a control, because that sense of wanting to stay in control gives us a sense of certainty and safety, and we crave certainty and safety because then we don't really have to change. Now, how many of you, and again, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have a constant barrage of negative thoughts that go through the inner narrative? It's like somehow your brain has located the negative button and has pressed that sucker and put it on hold, and it goes on and on, and on. And I've learned over the years that that the human brain, when it comes to negative stories, negative viewpoints about yourself, the human brain becomes like Velcro. And when it comes to the positive, when it comes to beautiful things, it's like the human brain all of a sudden switches into Teflon form. It's like our brains are hardwired to receive the negative and to immediately take that in and begin ruminating on it and you hear it over and over and over again. Negative thoughts about your intelligence, about your body image, about your education or your lack of education, what you are doing or aren't doing in the world. That inner critic loves to remind us about all the things that we are not. Your lack of competence as a person. Am I talking to anyone in the room? Are you like me? you can get 10 emails from people beautiful life-giving emails people expressing their gratitude you get one line of some sort of biting criticism and what do you walk away with that day that one line and you take it and you ruminate it and this raises a lot of questions for me as a human because i keep hearing a story going on in my inner narrative i keep hearing something happening inside and do I stop long enough and ask the question, well, where did that story come from? Who wrote that story or who is currently writing that story? And are you tired of it yet? Are you done with that story and want to move on to a different story? Do you believe that that story has the final word over the outcome of your life? Is that it? Is that story something that you just simply accept and say, that's the story I'm choosing to wear over my time? or? A better question might be, so what is it that's keeping me from moving past the negative narrative? What's keeping me from that? What's keeping me from creating a different story, hearing a different story? Do you believe, as a follower of Jesus, that in Christ Jesus there can be a new story written for your life? We read through the scriptures and we've been in Luke's narrative and it talks so often about new life in Christ and new creation and abundant life, and is Jesus simply talking about what's to come in the future, or is he talking about a life in the here and now? Years ago, a mentor of mine made this statement, and it has stuck with me, and I've ruminated on it for so many times, and he says, how you see God is how you see and view just about everything. How you view God is how you view others. It's how you view yourself. You can't keep them separated and put them into different compartments, Because how you view and understand God is how you see just about everything. And when I hear the stories of Jesus and I hear Jesus inviting us into a different story, what Jesus is doing is he's telling us a story about God. He's saying this is what God is like. This is what it looks like that God in flesh, human flesh interacting with human beings. And Jesus begins to tell stories, painting an image of what this God is like. And as Jesus tells these stories, we're invited to step into a more accurate, better story of what the father is like. But are we choosing to step into that story, or do we choose to continue to ruminate in our old inner negative narrative? Now, we as human beings, I think, tend to operate in a couple of different modes. And in this story, there are two sons... Now Scrappy and Rascal didn't read the story of the second son, we heard the story about the first son that we refer to as the prodigal son, but there's another son in the story, and I would say that this story is actually about two sons who are lost. And these two sons, from my viewpoint, are operating in a particular mode that many of us operate in. These two modes that I see human beings operating in are either a transactional mode or what I would call a transformational mode. The transactional mode and the transformational mode. In this story, both sons are operating in in a transactional mode. As the father invites the sons into the transformational mode, the question is, will they accept the invitation? And we don't know. But a better question might be is, will we accept the invitation and step into this transformational mode? Let's look at son number one. Son number one comes to the father, takes his inheritance early, which is another way of saying to the father, I wish you were dead. It's that extreme. He wants the inheritance early. He takes his wealth, runs off, squanders his wealth, wakes up one day among pigs, comes to his senses and decides to return back home. He wants to go back home because at least at home he would have food and shelter. On his way back home, his his plan, he begins to concoct a script. Now in this script it's an interesting narrative that the son begins to write. And notice how the story begins. He says, first line, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. It's an interesting start of a story, isn't it? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Question, what makes you worthy? Is it radical obedience? Is it making sure that you're hitting all the markers and the standards and achieving all the things that you deem would make you worthy or not worthy? And are we honest enough to admit to ourselves that we all have these standards that we've set for ourselves, either from our family of origin or from people around us, that this is what makes me worthy, this is what gives me worth? Because if I hit these markers and I do these things, then I will get accepted because that's how it works in a transactional relationship, right? And most of our relationships are transactional. If I do this, then you will do this. Another script in the, in, the, in the story, another line that the son writes, he says, okay, I've got a plan. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'll start there. And then I, what I will do is I will ask you to make me one of your hired servants. And I find this interesting in the story because it makes me stop and wonder, is this about control? Is the son creating a plan because the son left in the first place because he doesn't want the father dictating how his life is supposed to go, so he's got to get out from under his clutches. And if he has to come back, at least he can make himself a hired servant because then he can still maintain some level of control because I got to earn my keep and I can kind of stay in, out, and under your clutches and stay in control of the own narrative of my life. But what I love about the story is before the son can even pull out the script and start the story, the father refuses to accept his story. It's like the father doesn't want to hear his repentance speech. He doesn't want to hear his long list of I'm really sorrys." The father isn't interested In the son's repentance story, the father isn't interested in the list that the son has created. And notice that the father hasn't even created a list of all the things that he hasn't done correctly. The question is, is does the younger son accept the gift that the father gives? Father wants to throw him a party, puts a robe on him and a ring and just wants to celebrate his return. He says, this son who I thought was dead has come back. So there's some kind of a, a resurrection theme going on in the life of this boy, but will this boy accept the invitation? Because if we're honest, sometimes those kinds of gifts are just too difficult to receive because we have to do something in order to receive the gift. I have to prove to you that I'm worthy of receiving such a generous gift, so let me at least prove to you that I'm worthy of this gift. And the father's like, I'll have none of it. I'm not interested in your, sorry. I'm not interested in your script. Throw it away. And this got me thinking this morning about our own sense of transactionalism. Are we kind of in this transactional mode that there has to be something that I have to do in order to earn my place in the Father's love and acceptance of who I am as a human being? Or am I a son or a daughter simply because I'm a son or a daughter? I thought about my own kids, my son and my daughter There is nothing they could ever do that would remove their status as my son or my daughter. They don't have to achieve it. They don't have to earn it. They are my son and my daughter, period, end of discussion. How we view and understand God is how we view and understand just about everything. I want to invite you to take out the bread this morning, and we're going to partake of communion And I thought about the broken body of Jesus and the acceptance of Jesus that when he took the bread and presented it to his followers, he said, this is my body broken for you. And this brokenness is what helps me identify with humanity's brokenness so that Jesus can enter into our story and help us write a new story. That out of that brokenness, Jesus makes us whole and accepts us. So we take the bread, we break the bread, we receive the gift of life without any strings attached, and we just simply say, thank you. So I invite you to take and eat with me this morning. Son number two. He's what I refer to as the good boy. We got any uh, good kids in the room this morning? Like you're good? You like held your, you kept your nose clean relatively well through life? You stayed in the correct lane? so to speak, son number two is the good kid, the religious one, he decided to stay home unlike his brother, but son number two is also operating in a transactional mode. Doesn't seem to be a lot of transformation happening in son number two, just like in son number one. What I see in son number two is what I would call behavioral modification. So much of what we see in Christianity is about behavior modification. So often what I see is what I see is a series of moral transformation going on, but not kind of that Holy Spirit transformation. But there's a lot of morality, there's this this sense of, of radical obedience, and son number two has got it locked and loaded. And in our inner narratives, and what I see happening in Christianity so often, is that we believe this narrative of our obedience actually leads to God's blessings, And what Jesus does is he reverses that, and we hate that reversal. Blessing leads to obedience. And it's a vast difference because you're operating out of a different mode. A sense of, I'm already blessed. There's nothing I can do to achieve that, but I'm already blessed. And as a result of that, I want nothing more than to please the heart of my father and be radically obedient. Son number two Here's about the return of his brother. His brother has come back and his father has the audacity to want to throw him a ridiculous party where there's music and drinking, uh, great food, and he wants to celebrate the return of this boy who decided to run out on his own. And the father goes to son number two and he invites son number two to the celebration, but son number two can't accept the invitation. Notice what the son says. says, He says, you've gone off and you've killed the fatted calf, you're throwing this big party, that son. He says, that son of yours is how he refers to him. Now, when you can't even acknowledge that that's your brother or you can't say his name, there's something inside that's really dark and off. He says, that son of yours, a clear sign of contempt, a clear sign that again, he's in this transactional mode. I've held up my end of the deal. Why why are we celebrating him? Why don't, at least, at the very least, why don't I get a celebration of some sort? Because I did everything right. And it occurred to me that both son number one and son number two want the same exact thing. They want what the father can give them, but they don't want the father. They don't want the relationship, but they want what the father can give. And then the father drops this profound statement that I wanna leave us with this morning. And he looks at son number two and he says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Think about that for a moment and that's it. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. No amount of doing it right will get you there. No amount of radical obedience will get you there. It's like lay all of that down See, we have a problem that we tend to forget who we are. You're a son, you're a daughter, period, end of discussion, you're already in. Will you accept the invitation? This leads me to the cup. Jesus' body broken for us and then he takes the cup and he brings it to his followers and he says, this cup, this cup is going to, be spilled out on your behalf as a way of saying we're entering into a new relationship, a new way of operating in the world. We're not going to work out of this transactional mode anymore. We're going to step into a transformational mode in which our lives are being changed from inside out where we realize we're already blessed. And as a result of that, already receiving the blessing, we now get to live into who we really are with all of our mistakes and our broken parts It doesn't matter. You are welcome because you're a son and a daughter. And he says, take and drink this cup of my covenant. I give it to you without any strings attached. Let's take together. We receive the gift of life given to us. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with grace and understanding. And now, as we enter into a time to respond in song, I invite you to sit with that statement as we're singing. Can you hear the Father saying to you, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. End of discussion. And if you would stand, I wanna give you the benediction this morning. And now I pray that the Lord God would bless you and he would keep you and make his face to shine upon you. That as he lifts up his countenance upon you, may you hear the words, my son, my daughter, everything I have is yours. Stop trying so hard. You already have everything you need. It's all yours. There's nothing that you can do as a son or a daughter that will ever cause me to turn away from you and say you are not my son or my daughter. That's the truth that we get to live into. May you walk in the way of Jesus this week and may you live with that deep knowledge as you stand in solitude. My son, my daughter, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Grace and peace be with you. Amen.